control. Okay, Arnold said in the control room. The Rex is down. He pushed back in his chair and grinned as he lit a final cigarette and crumpled the pack. That did it. The final step in putting the park back in order. Now all they had to do was go out and move it. Son of a bitch, Muldoon said, looking at the monitor. I got him after all. He turned to Gennaro. It just took him an hour to feel it. Henry Wu frowned at the screen. But he could drown in that position. He won't drown, Muldoon said. Never seen an animal that was harder to kill. I think we have to go out and move him, Arnold said. We will, Muldoon said. He didn't sound enthusiastic. That's a valuable animal. I know it's a valuable animal, Muldoon said. Arnold turned to Gennaro. He couldn't resist a moment of triumph. I put out to you, he said, that the park is now completely back to normal. Whatever Malcolm's mathematical model said was going to happen, we are completely under control again. Gennaro pointed to the screen behind Arnold's head and said, What's that? Arnold turned. It was a system status box in the upper corner of the screen. Ordinarily, it was empty. Arnold was surprised to see that it was now blinking yellow. Ox power low. For a moment, he didn't understand. Why should auxiliary power be low? They were running on main power, not auxiliary power. He thought perhaps it was just a routine status check on the auxiliary power, perhaps a check on the fuel tank levels or the battery charge. Henry, Arnold said to Wu, look at this. Wu said, why are you running on auxiliary power? I'm not, Arnold said. It looks like you are. I can be. Print the system status log, Wu said. The log was a record of systems over the last few hours. Arnold pressed the button, and they heard a hum of a printer in the corner. Wu walked over to it. Arnold stared at the screen. The box now turned from flushing yellow to red, and the message now read, Ox power fail. Numbers began to count backwards from twenty. What the hell is going on? Arnold said. Cautiously, Tim moved a few yards out along the muddy path into the sunshine. He peered around the waterfall and saw the Tyrannosaur lying on its side, floating in the pool of water below. I hope he's dead, Lex said. Tim could see he wasn't. The dinosaur's chest was still moving, and one forearm twitched in spasms. But something was wrong with him. Then Tim saw the white canister sticking in the back of its head by the indentation of the ear. He's been shot with a dart, Tim said. Good, Lex said. He's practically ate us. Tim watched the laboured breathing. He felt unexpectedly distressed to see the huge animal humbled like this. He didn't want it to die. It's not his fault, he said. Oh, sure, Lex said. He practically ate us and he's not his fault. He's a carnivore. He was just doing what he does. You wouldn't say that, Lex said, if you were in his stomach right now. Then the sound of the waterfall changed. From a deafening roar, it became softer, quieter. The thundering sheet of water thinned and became a trickle and stopped. Timmy, the waterfall stopped, Lex said. It was now just dripping like a tap that wasn't completely turned off. The pool at the base of the waterfall was still. They stood near the top, in a cave-like indentation filled with machinery, looking down. Waterfalls are meant to stop, Lex said. 
Tim shook his head. It must be the power. Somebody turned off the power. Behind them all the pumps and filters were shutting down one after another, the lights blinking off and the machinery becoming quiet. And then there was a thunk of a solenoid releasing, and a door marked Maint 04 swung slowly open. Grant stepped out, blinking in the light, and said, Good work, kids. You got the door open. We didn't do anything, Lex said. The power went out, Tim said. Never mind that, Grant said. Come and see what I found. Arnold stared in shock. One after another, the monitors went black, and then the room lights went out. Plunging the control room into darkness and confusion, everyone started yelling at once. Muldoon opened the blinds and let light in, and Wu brought over the printout. Look at this, Wu said. Time event systems code. Wu said, you shut down at 5.15 this morning, and when you started back up, you started up with auxiliary power. Jesus, Arnold said. Apparently, main power had not been on since shutdown. When he powered back up, only the auxiliary power came on. Arnold was thinking that was strange, when he suddenly realised that that was normal. That was what was supposed to happen. It made perfect sense. The auxiliary generator filled up first, and it was used to turn on the main generator. Because it took a heavy charge to start the main power generator. That was the way the system was designed. But Arnold had never before had occasions to turn the main power off. And when the lights and screens came back on the control room, it never occurred to him that the main power hadn't also been restored. But it hadn't. And all during the time since then, while they were looking for the wrecks and doing one thing after another, the park had been running on auxiliary power. And that wasn't a good idea. In fact, the implications were just beginning to hit him. What does the line mean? Muldoon said, pointing to the list. 051457 warning, fence status, operative, auxiliary power. It means the system status warning was sent to the monitors in the control room, Arnold said. Concerning the fences, did you see the warning? Arnold shook his head. No, I must have been talking to you in the field. Anyway, no, I didn't see it. What does it mean, warning fence status? Well, I don't know at the time, but we were running on backup power, Arnold said. And backup doesn't generate enough amperage to power the electrified fences, so they were automatically kept off, Muldoon scowled. Well, electrified fences were off. Yes. All of them. Since five this morning, for the last five hours. Yes. Including the velociraptor fences. Arnold sighed. Yes. Jesus Christ, Muldoon said. Five hours? Those animals could be out. And then, from somewhere in the distance, they heard a scream. Muldoon began to walk very fast. He went around the room, handing out portable radios. Mr. Arnold is going to the maintenance shed to turn on the main power. Dr. Wu, stay in the control room. You're the only other one that can work the computers. Mr. Hammond, go back to the lodge. Don't argue with me. Go now. Lock the gates. And stay behind them until you hear from me. I'll help Arnold deal with the raptors. He turned to Gennaro. Like to live dangerously again? Not really, Gennaro said. He was very pale. 
Fine. Then go with the others to the lodge. Muldoon turned away. That's it, everybody. Now move. Hammond whined. But what are you going to do to my animals? That's not really the question, Mr. Hammond, Muldoon said. The question is, what are they going to do to us? He went through the door and then hurried down to the hall towards his office. Gennaro fell into the step alongside him. Change your mind, Gennaro growled. You'll need help, Gennaro said. I might. Muldoon went into the room marked Animal Supervisor, picked up a grey shoulder launcher and unlocked a panel in a wall behind the desk. There were six cylinders and six canisters. The thing about these damn dinos, Muldoon said, is that they have distributed nervous systems. They don't die fast, even with a direct hit to the brain. And they're built solidly. Thick ribs make a shot to the hard dicey. And they're difficult to cripple in the legs and hind quarters. Slow bleeders, slow to die. He was opening the cylinders, one after another, and dropping in the canisters. He touched a thick webbed belt to Gennaro. Put that on. Gennaro tightened the belt and Muldoon passed him the shells. About all we can hope to do is blow them apart. Unfortunately, we've only got six shells here. There's eight raptors in that fence compound. Let's go. Stay close. You have the shells? Muldoon went out and ran along the hallway, looking down over the balcony to the path leading towards the maintenance shed. Gennaro was puffing alongside him. They got to the ground floor and went out through the glass doors, and Muldoon stopped. Arnold was standing with his back to the maintenance shed. Three raptors approached him. Arnold had picked up a stick, and he was waving at them, shouting. The raptors fanned out as they came closer, one staying in the centre, and the other two moving to each side. Coordinated. Smooth. Gennaro shivered. Pack behaviour. Muldoon was already crouching, setting the launcher on his shoulder. Load, he said, and Gennaro slipped a shell in the back of the launcher. There was an electric sizzle. Nothing happened. Christ, you've put it in backwards, Muldoon said, tilting the barrel to the shell fell out into Gennaro's hands. Gennaro loaded again. The raptors were snarling at Arnold, when the animal on the left simply exploded. The upper part of the torso flying into the air, blood splatting like a burst tomato on the walls of the building. The lower torso collapsed on the ground, the legs kicking in the air, the towel flopping. That'll wake him up, Muldoon said, and ran for the door to the maintenance shed. The velociraptors turned and started towards Muldoon and Gennaro. They fanned out as they came closer. In the distance, somewhere near the lodge, he heard screams. Gennaro said, This could be a disaster. Load, Muldoon said. Henry Wu heard the explosion and looked towards the door of the control room. He circled around the consoles and paused. He wanted to go out, but he knew that he should stay in the room. If Arnold was able to get the power back on, if only for a minute, then Wu would restart the main generator. He had to stay in the room. He heard someone screaming. It sounded like Muldoon. Muldoon felt a wretched pain in his ankle, tumbling down an embankment and hit the ground running. Looking back, he saw Gennaro running in the other direction into the forest. The raptors were ignoring Gennaro, but pursuing Muldoon. They were now only twenty yards away. Muldoon screamed at the top of his lungs as he ran, wondering vaguely where the hell we could go. Because he knew that he had perhaps ten seconds before they got him. Ten seconds. Maybe less.
Ellie had to help Malcolm turn over as Harding jabbed the needle and injected morphine. Malcolm sighed and collapsed back. It seemed he was growing weaker by the minute. Over the radio they heard a tiny screaming and a muffled explosions coming from the visitor centre. Hammond came into the room and said, How is he? He's holding, Harding said. A bit delirious. I am uh, I'm nothing of the sort, Malcolm said. I am uh, utterly clear. They listened to the radio. It uh, sounds like a war out there. The raptors got out, Hammond said. Did they? Malcolm said, breathing slowly. Uh, how how could that possibly happen? There was a system screw-up. Arnold didn't realise that the auxiliary power was on, and the fences cut out. Did they? Did they? Go to hell, you supercilious bastard! Uh, if I remember, Malcolm said, I uh, predicted fence integrity would fail. Hammond sighed and sat down heavily. Damn it all, he said, shaking his head. It must surely not have escaped your notice at the heart. What we are attempting here is extremely, extremely simple idea. My colleagues and I determined several years ago that it was possible to clone the DNA of an extinct animal and grow it. That seemed to us as a wonderful idea. It was a kind of time travel. Only time travel in the world. Bring them back alive, so to speak. And since it was so exciting, and since it was possible to do it, we decided to go forward. We got this island and we proceeded. It was all very simple. Ah, uh, simple? Malcolm said. Somehow we found the energy to sit up in the bed. Ah, uh, simple? You're uh, a bigger fool than I, than I thought you were. And I thought you were a very uh, substantial fool. Ellie said, Dr. Malcolm, and tried to ease him back down. But Malcolm would have none of it. He pointed towards the radio, the shouts and cries. What is that going on out there? That is your simple idea. Simple. You uh, created new life forms of which you know nothing at all. Your uh, Dr. Wu does not even know the names of the things he's creating. He cannot be bothered with uh, such details as what the thing is called, let, let alone what it is. You, you create many of them in a very short time, and uh, you never learn anything about them. You, yet you expect them to do your bidding because you made them, and you, you therefore you think you own them. You forget that they're alive. They have uh, an intelligence of their own, and they may not do your bidding, and you forget how little you know about them, how uh, incompetent you are, do the things that you fervorously call simple. Dear God. He sat back, coughing. <coughs> you, you, uh, you know what's wrong with scientific power, Malcolm said. It's uh, a form of inherited wealth. And uh, you know what assholes congenically rich people are. Never fails. Hammond said, uh, what, what, what is he talking about? 
Harding made a sign indicating delirium. Malcolm cocked his eyes. I, uh, I, I tell you what I'm uh, talking about, he said. Most uh, kinds of power require a substantial sacrifice by whoever wants the power. There is a, an apprenticeship, a, a discipline lasting many years. Whatever kind of power you want, president of the company, black belts in, in karate, spiritual guru, whatever it is you seek, you have to put it in the time, the practice, the effort. You must give up a lot to get it. It has to be very, very important to you. And once you have attained it, it is your power. It can't be given away. It resides in you. It is literally the result of your discipline. Now, uh, what's, what is interesting about the, the process of that, by the time someone has acquired the ability to kill with his uh, bare hands, he has uh, also matured uh, to the uh, point where uh, he won't use it unwisely. So that kind of uh, power has a built-in control. The uh, discipline of getting the power changes you, so that you won't abuse it. But uh, scientific power isn't like inherited wealth attained with that discipline. You uh, you read what uh, others have done, and you took the next step. You can uh, do it very young. You can make progress very very fast. There is no discipline lasting many decades. There is no mastery. Only scientists have. Or ignored philosophy, cheat, lie, false, falsify. It doesn't matter. Not to you or to your colleagues. No one will uh, criticize you. No one has any standards. They're all trying to do the same thing: to do something big, and do it fast. And because you because you can stand on the, the shoulders of giants, you can accomplish something quickly. You can you even know exactly what you're done but already you have reported it and patented it and, and sold it and a buyer will have even less discipline than you the buyer simply purchases the power like any commodity the buyer doesn't even conceive that any discipline might be necessary Hammond said uh, do you know what he's talking about Ellie nodded I haven't a clue Hammond said well, I'll make it simple, Malcolm said. A uh, karate master does not kill people with his bare hands. He does not lose his temper and kill his wife. The person who kills is a person who has no discipline or restraint. And who has purchased his power in form of a Saturday night special. And that is the kind of power that science fosters and permits. And that is why that you think uh, to build a place like this is simple. Well, it was simple, Hammond insisted. Then why did you get it wrong? Dizzy with tension, John Arnold threw open the door to the maintenance shed and stepped into the darkness inside. Jesus! It was black! He should have realised the lights would be out. He felt the cool air, the cavernous dimensions of the space extended two floors below him. He had to find the catwalk. He had to be careful or he'd break his neck. The catwalk. He groped like a blind man until he realised it was futile. 
Somehow, he had to get the light into the shed. He went back to the door and cracked it open four inches. That gave enough light, but there was no way to keep the door open. Quickly, he kicked off a shoe and stuck it in the door. He went towards the catwalk, seeing it easily. He walked along the corrugated metal, hearing a difference in his feet, one loud, one soft. But at least he could see. Up ahead was a stairway leading down to the generators. Another ten yards. Darkness. The light was gone. Arnold looked back to the door and saw the light was blocked by the body of a velociraptor. The animal bent over and carefully sniffed the shoe. Henry Wu paced. He ran his hands over the computer consoles. He touched the screens. He was in constant movement. He was almost frantic with tension. He reviewed the steps he would take. He must be quick. The first screen would come up and he would press Wu, the radio hissed. He grabbed for it. Yes, yes, I'm here. Got any bloody power yet? It was Muldoon. There was something odd about his voice, something hollow. No, Wu said. He smiled. Glad to know Muldoon was alive. I think Arnold has made it to the shed, Muldoon said. After that, I don't know. Where are you? Wu said. I'm stuffed. What? Stuffed in a bloody pipe, Muldoon said. And I'm very popular at the moment. Wedged in a pipe was more like it, Muldoon thought. There had been a stack of drainage pipes piled behind the visitor centre, and he'd been backed himself into the nearest one, scrambling like a poor bastard. Meter pipes, very tight fit for him, but they couldn't come in after him. At least, not after he'd shot the leg off one when the nosy bastard came too close to the pipe. The raptor had gone howling off, and the others were now respectful. His only regret was that he hadn't waited to see the snout at the end of the tube before he'd squeezed the trigger. But he might still have a chance, because there were three or four outside, snarling and growling at him. Yes, very popular, he said on the radio. Wu said, does uh, Arnold have a radio? I don't think so, Malcolm said. Just sit tight, wait it out. He hadn't seen what the other end of the pipe was like. He'd backed out too quickly, and he couldn't see now. It was wedged tight. He could only hope that the far end wasn't open. Christ. He didn't like the thought of one of those bastards taking a bite of his hindquarters. Arnold backed away down the catwalk. The velociraptor was barely ten feet away, stalking him. Coming forward into the gloom, Arnold could hear the click of its deadly claws on the metal. But he was going slowly. He knew the animal could see well. But the grill of the catwalk, the unfamiliar mechanical odours had made it cautious. That caution was his only chance, Arnold thought. If he could get to the stairs and then move down the floor below. Because he was pretty sure the velociraptors couldn't climb stairs, certainly not narrow, steep stairs. Arnold glanced over his shoulder. The stairs were just a few feet away. Another few steps. He was there. Reaching back, he felt the railing starting scrambling down the almost vertical steps. His feet touched flat concrete. The raptor snarled in frustration twenty feet above him on the catwalk. Too bad, buddy. Arnold said. He turned away. He was now very close to the auxiliary generator. Just a few more steps and he would see it, even in the dim light. There was a dull thump behind him. Arnold turned. The raptor was standing there on the concrete floor, snarling. It had jumped down. 
He looked quickly for a weapon, but suddenly he found he was slammed onto his back on the concrete. Something heavy was pressing on his chest. It was almost impossible to breathe, and he realised the animal was standing on top of him. And he felt the big claws digging into his flesh of his chest, and smelled the sour breath of the head moving above him. And he opened his mouth to scream. Ellie held the radio in her hands, listening. Two more Teakin workmen had arrived at the lodge. They seemed to know it was safe here, but there had been no others in the last few minutes, and it sounded quieter outside. Over the radio, Muldoon said, How long has it been? We said, Four or five minutes. Arnold should have done it by now, Muldoon said. If he's going to, you got any ideas? No, we said. We heard from Gennaro? Gennaro pressed the button. I'm here. Well, where the hell are you? Muldoon said. I'm, uh, I'm going to the maintenance building, Gennaro said. Wish me luck. Gennaro crouched in the foliage, listening. Directly ahead, he saw the planted pathway leading towards a visitor centre. Gennaro knew the maintenance shed was somewhere to the east. He heard the chirping of birds in the trees. A soft mist was blowing. One of the raptors roared, but it was some distance away, off to the right. Gennaro set out, leaving the path, plunging into the foliage. Like to live dangerously? Not really. It was true, he didn't. But Gennaro thought he had a plan, or at least a possibility that might work. If he stayed north of the main complex of buildings, he could approach the maintenance shed from the rear. All the raptors were probably around the other buildings to the south. There was no reason for them to be in the jungle. At least, he hoped not. He moved as quietly as he could. Unhappily aware he was making a lot of noise, he forced himself to slow his pace, feeling his heart pound. The foliage here was very dense. He couldn't see more than six or seven feet ahead of him. He began to worry that he'd missed the maintenance shed entirely. But then he saw the roof to the right above the palms. He moved towards it, went around the side. He found the door, opened it and slipped inside. It was very dark. He stumbled over something. A man's shoe. Gennaro frowned. He popped the door wide open and continued deeper into the building. He saw a catwalk directly ahead of him. Suddenly he realised he didn't know where to go. And he'd left the radio behind. Damn. There might be a radio somewhere in the maintenance building. Or else he'd just look for the generator. He knew what the generator looked like, probably it was somewhere down in the lower floor. He found a staircase leading down. It was darker below, and it was difficult to see anything. He felt his way along among the pipes, holding his hands out to keep him from banging his head. He heard an animal snarl and froze. He listened, but the sound did not come again. He moved forward cautiously. Something dripped on his shoulder and his bare arm. It was warm, like water. He touched it in the darkness. Sticky. He smelled it. Blood. He looked up. The raptor was perched on the pipes just a few feet above his head. Blood was trickling from its claws. With an old sense of detachment, he wondered if it was injured. And then he began to run, but the raptor had jumped on his back, pushing him to the ground. Gennaro was strong. He heaved up, knocking the raptor away, and rolled off across the concrete. When he turned back, he saw the raptor had fallen on its side, where it lay panting.
Yes, it was injured. Its leg was hurt for some reason. Kill it. Gennaro scrambled to his feet looking for a weapon. The raptor was still panting on the concrete. He looked frantically for something, anything to use as a weapon, but he turned back the raptor was gone. It snarled, the sound echoing into the darkness. Gennaro turned in full circle, feeling with his outstretched hands, and then he felt a sharp pain in his right hand. Teeth! It was biting him! The raptor jerked his head, and Donald Gennaro was yanked off of his feet, and he fell. Lying on the bed, soaked in sweat, Malcolm listened as the radio crackled. Anything? Muldoon said. You get in anything? No word, Moo said. Hell, Muldoon said. There was a pause. Malcolm sighed. I I can't wait, he said, to hear his, his new plan. What I would like, Muldoon said, is to get everybody to the lodge and regroup, but I don't see how. There's a, a jeep in front of the visitor centre, Moo said. If I drove it over to you, could you get yourself into it? Maybe, but uh, you'll be abandoned in the control room. I can't do anything here anyway. Uh, God knows that's true, Malcolm said. A control room without electricity is not much of a control room. All right, Muldoon said. Let's try. This isn't looking good. Lying in the bed, Malcolm said, No, it's, uh, it's, it's not looking good. It's looking like a disaster. Wu said, the raptors are going to follow us over there. We're uh, still better off, Malcolm said. Let's, let's go. The radio clicked off. Malcolm closed his eyes and breathed slowly, marshalling his strength. Just relax, Ellie said. Just take it easy. You, you know what we are really talking about here, Malcolm said. All this attempt to control. We are talking about Western... Attitudes that are 500 years old. They only they began at the time of Florence. Italy was the, the most important city in the world. That the basic idea of science that there was new way to look at reality. That it was objective. That it did not depend on beliefs of your nationality. That it was rational. That uh, idea was fresh and exciting back then. It offered promise and hope for the future. And it swept away the old medieval systems, which was hundreds of years old. The medieval world of feudal uh, politics and religious dogma and uh, hateful superstitions fell before science. But in truth, this was because the medieval world didn't really work anymore. It didn't work economically, it didn't work intellectually, and uh, it didn't fit the new world that was emerging. Malcolm coughed. But, <coughs> but, uh, but now, he continued, science is the belief system that uh, is hundreds of years old. Unlike the medieval systems before it, science is starting not to fit the world anymore. Science has attained so much power that it's practically... Its practical limits begin to, to be apparent, largely through science. Billions of us live in this one small world, densely packed and intercommunicating. But uh, science cannot help us decide what to do with that world or how to live. Science can make a nuclear reactor, but it cannot tell us not to build it. Science can make pesticides, but cannot tell us not to use it. 
and our world starts to seem polluted in, in uh, fundamental ways air and and water and and land because of ungovernable science he sighed this this much is obvious to everybody <laughs>